and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Aram, which has been trusted for 25 years across the globe to improve collections and recoveries, and Just, which delivers better debt outcomes. With me, your host, Steve Coppard. It's time to grab a cuppa as we give credit where credit's due to our expert guests. For this episode, I visited Catherine Francis-Brown, the income delivery lead at NHS England. When I think about the NHS, I think about it being free at the point of use and a service that heals the sick and mends the broken wherever possible. So debt is not the first thing that comes to mind. As we know though, any organisation dealing with any financial transaction has the capacity to create debt. So let's dive straight into the interview and find out more about Catherine's expertise in this area. So, Catherine. Thanks, Stephen. My name is Catherine Francis-Brown. I'm the income delivery lead at NHS England. NHS England is a kind of step below the Department of Health and Social Care. So if you think the Department of Health and Social Care is more the kind of ministerial side, they set the policy and they act as kind of guardians for the health and social care framework. NHS England sits beneath that and we flow the money through to the commissioning bodies, which is the integrated care boards. And within the integrated care boards, you've got integrated care systems. It's all a bit complicated. It used to be clinical commissioning groups. And for your older listeners, it might well be a primary care trust. PCTs uh, or Strategic Health Authorities, SHAs. There's been lots of change in, in the NHS and probably lots more to come, I'm sure. So all of that then filters down at the bottom level. So if you think of it as a big pyramid, you've got Department of Health at the top, NHS England kind of in the middle, then you've got commissioning bodies, which is the ICBs leading into the ICSs, and then you've got the, the trusts at the bottom. So you've got foundation trusts and NHS trusts, and those are the people that actually do the work. They're the people that you go to when you're sick. Included in that, you've got your primary care, which is your GPs. So with your foundation trusts, in your trusts, you've got acute trusts, you've got ambulance trusts, you've got specialist trusts, and you've got community trusts as well. It's a whole range of trusts that carry out all the care that uh, people expect and require. So the NHS funding is about £150 billion, I think it is, which NHS England is really responsible for and making sure that all of the commissioning groups get enough money within their budget to make sure that everybody's cared and looked after for. So where do I sit within that? Well, I sit under the Chief Finance Director's Directorate at NHS England. My role is to look at debt across the sector. So that's areas where we can improve uh, and do things definitely better. I also look at efficiencies within other areas, such as the injury cost recovery scheme, and look at where we can get greater efficiency in those systems, which makes more money coming into the NHS. So I guess when I think of the NHS, um, the first thing that comes to mind is curing sick people or as somebody who who shall remain remain nameless but used to work um in in the nhs said to me once steve we're, we're here to sew people's arms back on when they fall off not collect money so can you explain a little bit about the sorts of debt that you deal with definitely uh, and you're right it kind of sits at odds because you know you don't naturally think nhs and debt uh, as two peas in the pod but with any organization sadly there is debt and we deal with a variety of debt so if you look at it from a balance sheet perspective you've got your nhs debt and you've got your non nhs debt and the debt that i really focus on is the non nhs debt so that's your kind of business to business debt and business to consumer debt now again you'd sit there and think well the nhs is free so why are you billing people so the nhs is free for those that are ordinary residents so we do have to charge people that aren't ordinary residents that come into the country and end up using our NHS facilities for whatever reason so we do bill 
individuals, overseas visitors, and within that cohort of, of overseas visitors, there are a massive amount of vulnerabilities. So you've got people that might be here illegally, they've been trafficked. It's a real learning curve for our trusts to deal with not just safeguarding issues, but we have to really think then about the financial safeguarding of people as well, because a lot of these people don't have recourse to funds. They've got no recourse to public money. They're not entitled to work. So if you think somebody comes into the country, falls pregnant, ends up in a maternity unit, that could be anywhere between six and twelve thousand pounds. Now if you're asking a destitute migrant to pay for that, realistically we're going to run into a little bit of trouble. So it's it's a huge it's a huge amount of learning for our NHS trusts to look at financial vulnerability. That makes a lot of sense. I had a conversation with Muna Yassin from Rooted Finance. She was talking to me about some of the issues that diverse ethnic communities face in the UK and what a complex landscape it is. And I, I guess what you've just described there is, is another layer of complexity facing folks like that. Oh, hugely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's up until about five years ago, it really was, the onus really was on, you know, cash is king, you've got to recover that money. And debt vulnerability wasn't a thing. They hadn't had that education. So when I joined, I was lucky enough to sit on the cross-government debt strategy group. And within that, we've got the debt fairness group. And there's been so much education and so much progress in, in managing debt vulnerability. It's been absolutely brilliant. And all of that's been filtered down to people that deal with finance in the NHS. And I think that's been a real learning curve for them and it, we, you know we want to make sure that people are dealt with in the most appropriate way and that money's recovered in a fair and appropriate way and that those that can't afford it are genuinely safeguarded but again it, it's that really fine balance between you know making sure that, that we get money back for the NHS and you know, we don't inappropriately chase vulnerable and destitute patients. Absolutely I had a number of conversations with different parts of the NHS and I, th I think there was always a concern about it's fair to say, is not to be seen to be chasing sick people for money. And I, I guess there's one, one one branch of that argument that says, well, hopefully once they've been seen by the NHS, they're not sick anymore. <laughs> but there's also, you know, we talk about fair debt outcomes for all. And that will be, you know, be fair, fair to the person who owns the debt, fair to the person who owes it, fair to the commercial partners that assist us, but also fair to the, the person who pays on time every day. And I guess where you're talking about ordinary residents, those folks through whichever part of the tax system it is that funds the NHS are, are paying their dues into it. And therefore, where appropriate, I think people will probably expect that those visiting, making use of the system would actually pay their bit as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we've got really strong processes in place to do both. You know, we, we are still working really hard to get to that gold standard in debt vulnerability, you know, income and expenditure forms, the standard financial statement, all of that's trying, we're trying to integrate that into almost ordinary life because, you know, it's not just overseas visitors that are vulnerable. We collect money from staff that have been inappropriately overpaid. And again, it, it was an educating piece about, well, they might be financially vulnerable as well. You can't just assume that just because they've received £3,000 extra that they can pay it back tomorrow, you know, that they might also be in a very vulnerable position. So it's that educating piece. But absolutely, it's also about making sure that we've got the right processes in place and that we're not afraid of using the English legal system to recover the debt. Trusts are notoriously risk adverse when it comes to finance and they really struggle with the concept of taking somebody or, or a company to court to recover that money because they're worried about the optics of it. I think especially around individuals, they are desperately concerned that it might not land very well with the public. You know, for example, guys in St Thomas's build £20,000 for this piece of work and then they end up taking a patient to court. We always think about the Daily Mail test. What would the Daily Mail say? And sometimes it hasn't been very kind and they're very nervous about those kind of outcomes. 
the struggle is real because you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you don't chase the money, then the Daily Mail will be saying that you, you're hemorrhaging money and, and not doing the best for the British taxpayer. And if you do, then they'll be saying, oh, the NHS chases sick people. And so it, it, it's, it's a real fine balance. And I think actually where, where you're coming from on the education piece, that actually this can be done responsibly is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about finding that really fine balance. You know, we have to do better. We know that we need to do better. There's a lot more that we can do, but we have come so far certainly in the last five years from when I started really looking at what when I started at NHS England and improvement looking at debt I think trusts have genuinely come on leaps and bounds but they recognize that the software that we use it's accounting software it's not designed for debt management and therefore things do fall through the cracks it's, it's a catch-22 my old boss looked at it as a spend to save yes um, but, and that's really difficult in today's environment because you know every every penny is squeezed most people know that the NHS is in a little bit of a dire straits when it comes to funding so quite often opportunities to expand into proper credit management systems are missed opportunities because of course the money is primarily concentrated on the clinical side quite rightly so. You, you mentioned a couple of times there the good stuff that's happened in this space over the years. Do you, want, do you want to expand a little bit on some of those things, what some of the opportunities have been in improving debt management in the NHS? Yeah definitely. One of the biggest areas of improvement and, and this might sound like we're, we're, we're not quite in the 21st century here in the NHS is with technology. So when I first started you had for example, Joan, who would sit in the cash office uh, and only open two hours a day and would take literally pounds and pennies from people. So we looked at the kind of, you know, what is the art of the possible? What's the capability out there? What does the rest of the sector do in, in government? And gov.pay has been absolutely intrinsic. We are really pushing for that because it works. We know it works. Trusts that have invested in their time, no money really, just their time into integrating an online platform, their cost recovery is massively increased because, you know, people pay their bills 24-7. They're not just between the hours that sadly Joan works in the afternoon. Uh, we don't need more barriers to prevent people from paying. We need people to be able to pay when they want and how they want. Online capability has been a huge thing. And I think the mindset as well has shifted. I think there's been a bit more focus on debt, especially on how debt is managed at trust level. There's an organisation that a lot of NHS trusts use, which is NHS Shared Business Services. And pre-pandemic, their credit control or their accounts receivable function was, was offshore in India. And they brought that back onshore because they recognised that it just wasn't working as effectively as it could be. So thinking about bringing things back in-house almost a little bit, or certainly having a bit more control and really thinking about what the client wants, what the end client wants and what the responsibilities are there. That's been a big shift. And again, I think it's really helped focus people that do work in accounts receivable at trust level. Just think about how they manage the process a bit more. I think there's, there's something really interesting in that around you can bring in a team of experts to help you understand what your in-house processes could look like, your target operating model. But it's very difficult to outsource a good target operating model when you haven't designed it in-house. And so if you say we're, we're going to do a business process outsourcing operation, but you haven't defined what those processes look like, then it's very difficult to do that effectively. And I, I think that's 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 what I was, I was sort of picking up from, from you saying about bringing the, that, that stuff back in-house now to look at that, maybe where you've got the increased capability in the NHS to do so now. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, you've got to remember that we've got 211 trusts doing 211 different ways of doing things. So it's, you know, from a central perspective, it's about making sure that the right noise filters down to trusts and that they get that support from the centre. So that's NHS England and, and effectively from, from DH as well, who, who can set the policy in this. Although really it's NHS England who deals with the operational side of things. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels like you're herding cats. 
Um, <laughs> but but I think the, the you know the groundswell is is that you know we have made improvements. They understand that we've got a heck of a long way to go, and maybe there is legs in having a centralised function because we could certainly then have the expertise. I think in the past historically a lot of the credit control has been seen as just an administrative function. So we haven't had the enthusiastic proper credit control, the people that you know could be CICM qualified. All all of that seems to be a little bit missing. Hopefully I've spoken to enough people and chewed chewed enough ears to to make people realise that that it is an opportunity that should be grasped. I can't miss the opportunity, seeing as you, you mentioned the, the Chartered Institute of Credit Management, that having those professional standards absolutely sets a benchmark for professional standards within the organisation. And I, I, I used to have a, an ongoing conversation. We were speaking just before we started recording, Catherine, about my old team in the Cabinet Office that's now moved across to, to Treasury and, and sits now alongside the finance function. And our view was very much, you know, finance owns the debt number on the spreadsheet but finance knows nothing about how to deal with that number and what to do with it it's a two-dimensional object and when you work in debt you can see all three dimensions and, and you understand the nuances and the depths and and like you said you know the vulnerabilities that it's not just a dunning cycle that you need the technology you need the data it's a much bigger thing than the, just a number on a, a, a balance sheet oh absolutely and you're right so when i'm talking about business to consumer debt with people it's always about don't look at the number on the spreadsheet think about the person behind that number and think about the journey that they've been in within the NHS and how we as individuals can impact on that. So, you know, if they have a really good experience and you negotiate, you know, everybody feels like they're winning. If you demand something, quite often it doesn't work. But I think they're beginning to get a lot more aware of that. But, you know, business to business and business to consumer collections is very different. The skill set is hugely different. So if you're asking effectively an administrative person to do that, who might not have the right skill set, we could end up doing way more damage than good. So it's education. I'm going to keep coming back to education because it really has been so critical over the last five years just to get people into that right mindset but absolutely I genuinely think that any sort of qualification in credit management it is an absolute bonus I know that there was some work going on with your old department looking at having a government professional qualification which I absolutely would welcome and genuinely think that it's a super idea yeah, I do think it's incredibly important. Again, when you look across government, the vast majority of government debt sits within three departments. And those departments have heavily invested in the capability of their internal collections teams. And they also have additional capacity and capability through the private sector. But when you go across that axis, right away to the other end, you might have 0.2 of an FTE who works in finance sending out one letter a quarter. And and it is it is a, a a real chalk and cheese difference when when you when you see that the thing you were talking about just now, Catherine, about looking for the the win win. I mean, there's a lot of that that's built into the behavioural insights that we use in in debt management. So the mind space framework. If you put somebody's back up, they're more likely to respond in kind. Yeah. And actually, a lot of people don't engage with a letter around debt because they're scared of what the outcome might be from that engagement. And so if you can tell them up front and say, look, if you need three months time to pay, or if you need six months time to pay, we're really happy just to just press the button. But you're giving them the power of knowing what the outcome is before they've even had to engage. Oh, absolutely. When we looked at technology in the beginning, you know, we were looking at you know, can we use SMS messaging as a prompt or a nudge just to get that contact, just to get people just to ring up, I've received a text, what have I received a text for? And then have those conversations. You know, nobody ever likes to receive Dunning letters. And, you know, as I said, that the technology that most of the NHS uses is is, is accounting software. It will send out the, the 30, 60, 90, and then your final demands. It didn't have at that point 
and some of it still doesn't, which is quite sad, and we're working to resolve that. Any messaging, and they had no signposting to debt advice services. You know, we've worked really closely with Step Change, Money Helper, just to try and make sure that the narrative in our letters and the, na the narrative in how we approach debt vulnerability is right. Because you're absolutely right. If you just say to someone, you need to pay me 10,000 pounds now, I don't know many people that could do that. <laughs> but if you say to me, let's have that conversation, you know, let's, let's, let's work on an affordable repayment plan that benefits it's both organisations, both parties. And if you do need debt help, or if you do, you know, if you need to fill in an income and expenditure form and you can't because you don't have the capability, here's an organisation that can help you. Oh, and at the same time, they might be able to, or they, they'll also look in to see whether you're receiving all the benefits that you're getting. So helping people to help themselves is just the biggest mindset shift. And hopefully that's something that the NHS is beginning to get a bit more involved in. Completely agree. If you're trying to take money out of somebody's pocket and there's nothing in there, the easiest way to do it is to put some more in. Yeah. You only have to look at the recent policy and practice research. The benefits that go unclaimed now have reached 19 billion a year. And I think that's because a lot of people don't understand that it's out there. And again, it's that messaging and that education. If we educate the public, help you to help yourself. Absolutely, it's, it's a winning it's a winning combination. So what's the impact of not collecting this debt? Is it just an increase in the tax burden on, on everybody else? Or how, how does it play out? How does it play through the system if, you, if you're unable to collect? I think it really boils down to the volume of efficiencies that the NHS is constantly being asked to make. So be that headcount reduction, we have to make savings everywhere. So I think there is a real opportunity to recover as much debt as possible and to really change that mindset into thinking, yeah, actually, this is an opportunity. It's not just a number on a balance sheet. It's not just a liability. There is something tangible that we can do with this. And quite often I've talked to people about debt and said, right, okay, if you've got X on your balance sheet, all of this liability, how many nurses will that pay for? How many operations could that effectively pay for? How many whole time equivalents on the front line would that pay for? Putting it into that kind of context of, of something that you could actually visualise really helps make a difference. And I will chew a finance director's ear off until I'm green in the face, to be honest with you, about debt. I'm quite often referred to as, oh God, it's that lady that works in debt. <laughs> Leave me alone. But actually, it, it does work. And I think it really helps people to understand that there is value in recovering what we're owed. And that it's, it shouldn't just sit there or just, oh, well, you know, it's, 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 too, it's in the too difficult pile, so we'll just write it off. No, that's not appropriate. I really want people to focus on this. And I think that that messaging is beginning to filter through. There's another bit of me that says, actually not collecting money also does damage. So people have that debt hanging over them. It's a burden that's on them. And we have a responsibility to lift people out of the burden of debt. Whether that be that we look at it and say, actually, do you know what? We're never going to get that money. So let's just tell them that we're writing it off. Or actually, we look at it and we say, do you know what? From the data we've got, we know that you can afford to pay. So we'd like our money, please. But doing nothing about it leaves that nagging doubt in the back of people's heads. And with the links between debt and mental health, am I taking a step too far to say that by not trying to collect money responsibly from people who owe it to the NHS, you could actually be incurring further cost on the NHS through mental health problems further down the line for that person. That's a bit of a leap, isn't it? No, no, it's genuinely not a leap, actually. And it's something that I talk quite passionately about to anyone that will bloody listen, to be honest with you. There is a huge link between, and it's not just mental health, it's also physical health. So the whole thing is massively integrated. If Mrs. Smith has a debt of £10,000, A, she's going to be worried about that. So we need to recover that debt or at least have those very sensible conversations about how we're going to start getting that debt repaid in a responsible manner, because it has to be responsible for both parties. Quite often I have a conversation with a finance director who says, yeah, but it's going to take Mrs. Smith 20 years to pay. Yeah, but that's better than writing it off.
you've got to start thinking about Mrs. Smith might be in this position right now, but in six, 12, 18 months down the line, you can revisit that debt and have those conversations. Has your, you know, has your financial circumstances or has your financial position changed? If it's improved, great. Let's have that conversation about maybe increasing it. If it's gone the other way, maybe at this point we should look at writing it off because we don't want to burden anyone any further than they already are. It's finding again that fine level of responsibility, isn't it? I think we're beginning to get that balance right. You make a really good point, Catherine, insofar as today's situation is, is only today's situation. It's not static. While it, it may look like a 20-year repayment plan today, Mrs. Smith's now happy because she knows that she's making an affordable repayment and that she's not going to have somebody knocking on her door or taking her to court. She can sleep at night because of it. But if Mrs. Smith's situation changes in 12 months' time, especially if you've got the data on that, you can ring her up and have another conversation. And even if you just say, look, we're just checking in. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think when it, when it comes to repayment plans, hedge back onto the overseas visitors. If there is a debt that is over £500 and over two months old, we can put it on something called the debtor's return or the, the debtor's scheme run by the Home Office. And that if that has an impact on people coming back into the country. So we need to make sure that, that the debt is dealt with responsibly and that if they are on repayment plans that don't get put on the debtor's scheme. But again, that's a really good lever. If people are genuinely financially vulnerable, then that's absolutely fine. But it's finding those levers to, to really encourage people that might be testing the boundaries a little bit and saying well actually I can't afford to pay but go use you know transit in and out of the UK quite frequently it's making sure that those people that can afford to pay do pay we do some really cool stuff with data and we know there's always juice left in the lemon you, you just need to know when to squeeze I think you're absolutely on on the right lines there so where do you think the biggest opportunities for improvements lie within the NHS now? Oh, I'm going to get shot for saying this, but it's definitely in technology, which, which comes back to spending money. We desperately need proper credit management facilities or proper credit management tools. We've spoken before about the, the use of Experian and, and Equifax and, and TransUnion for credit footprinting, etc. We need better insight into what people are doing because, you know, you're absolutely right. You need to know when to squeeze that lemon harder or when to just put the juicer down. We want to do the right thing by our patients we need to do the right thing by our debtors as well so if we've got the right information and the right technology we can do that we've got our own kind of self-made barrier a little bit at the moment whether that will change in the short term I don't know but I'm really I'm hopeful really hopeful that, that we can start using far better technology to help our trusts recover the money that they're owed. You mentioned spend to save earlier. That to me just sounds like this is the ripe opportunity. The investment once will pay for itself many times over over the years. Oh, absolutely. If you look at the amount of money that gets spent on procurement systems, it will be a fraction of a cost for massive saving. But it, again, it's just getting the right messaging to the right people and getting them in front of the right tools. We're debt people. A lot of finance people don't get it. You know, it's just a number on a spreadsheet. It's way more than that. And what you can do, and it, go, it goes back to that tangible, how many nurses could you pay for if you recovered all your debt or the majority of your debt? Imagine what you could do with X, Y, and Z. It's, for me, it's the art of the possible. It's <laughs> earworming enough people <laughs> to get that message across. <laughs> And I, I will say, you're not alone as an organisation in feeling that pain. Unless a business's or an organisation's core purpose is to collect money, then quite often the debt element is so far downstream away from the core business that it doesn't get that level of investment. Yeah, and I think I'm really lucky in my career. I've done both public and private or commercial, so I've I've seen I've seen the light from both sides, if that makes sense. And and we absolutely need to make public organisations, the NHS, for example, far more commercially minded when it comes to recovering debt, because it's it's just the right thing to do. 
How do you think the media would react to the NHS chasing people for money? It's a really good question and it's been brought up a lot and it has been sadly in the media as well and that's why trusts are so nervous around using the English court system. Nobody wants to take anyone to court unless they absolutely have to. You have to have that level of satisfaction that you can assure yourself that you've done everything that you can and that you have done every piece of communication that you can and that negotiations have failed broken down for whatever reason. I think trusts work really hard to try and encourage people into repayment plans rather than taking that nuclear option. The optics don't look good. There is no two ways about it. The Daily Mail would say, Guy, I'm, I'm going to pick on Guys and St Thomas's again, sorry. Um, you know, Guys and St Thomas, you, you've taken Mrs Smith to court. She didn't pay her 20 grand maternity bill. You know, she's a vulnerable individual. That never lands well. That, that doesn't look good at all. So we will do everything that we possibly can do to make sure that that patient has had every opportunity that we can to get that engagement and get that debt repaid as, as effectively as possible. Because it has to be, again, it goes back to that reasonability. We have to make sure that we get that debt recovered, but it has to be, you, the person has to be able to afford it. Do they have any disposable income? Yes, no. And again, it comes down to that education of business to consumer, business to business training. It's very easy to take a business to court because there's no, when I say personal impact, of course there is, but it's a very different impact to taking an individual to court. You know, we do, NHS organisations do use debt recovery agents that where they're absolutely encouraged to do that if they have exhausted all of their internal efforts and they have assured themselves that that individual is not vulnerable. But things do sometimes get missed, things do fall through the cracks and sometimes things do go slightly wrong. And we're the first people to put hands up and say that, okay, we've made an error, but we can learn from that so that Mrs Jones then doesn't get impacted further down the road. I think there's, there's something in there as well, isn't there, Catherine, around, and that don't let me put words in your mouth I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious I just said isn't there Catherine it's <laughs> <laughs> like I'm expecting you to agree with me but it, I think there's something in there around thoughtful policy design as well. You wouldn't want to use NHS resources, cash, time, just for punitive measures. You would want to satisfy yourself that actually they could pay but chose not to. And there's actually a chance of you getting your money if you take them to court. Yeah, abs absolutely. Uh, and y yeah, you're right. I will agree with you on that point. <laughs> but because it's a great point. Uh, and I think it's we've found it quite, I, I, when we say we, I, I found it quite difficult to start with because, you know, there are 212, sorry, 211 trusts with 211 different policies so educating people into why thought has to be put into process and looking at it, almost looking at it from a, almost the flip side so not not looking at as from a business but how what's the patient journey what's the impact on people if we get it right what's the impact if we get it wrong what's the impact and it's getting people to almost to walk in that patient's shoes how would you feel if you had this done to you and I think that absolutely does create far better policy if you can almost through lived experience or certainly through through patient feedback or through client feedback, understand the impact that your policies and your processes and your procedures have had on them. We can learn and get it right because we want to be at that gold standard. You know, we want to be at the at the leading edge. We're, we're kind of mid-table obscurity at the moment, but we, you know, we, we want to be the FA Cup winners um, in this area. That's such an important point, the, the inclusive service design and co-creation. There's no way of knowing what the experience is of the end user and, and, unless you, you have that feedback. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you're right, absolutely. I mean, feedback loops are so critical. And I think everyone th looks at the NHS and says, oh, you know, patient feedback is just about clinical feedback. It's about far more than that. And, you know, and I think with with, with increased thought process and certainly things like using the, the tools and the information, all of that just leads into better policy design, better processes and better outcomes. You know, we want everybody to repay the debt where they can because we need the money to, to reinvest into the NHS. That's effectively what we do. Frontline services get impacted if we don't recover the debt.
So it's a win-win if we get it right. So yeah, absolutely, policy and process. It's it's just it's making sure that it's it's fit for purpose at all level. I, I was looking uh, a recent Money and Mental Health Policy Institute report that was talking about providing people with money advice when they're receiving NHS talking therapies. So I've, I think there are other parts of the NHS that are kind of alive to some of this, aren't they? Oh, massively, and it's huge steps forward in primary care. So your, your GP, you can you know social prescribing. You can go to your GPs. Not all GPs. I'm sorry, everyone, um, but you know in certain areas it was I mean and the pilots were really positive because you know we, we spoke earlier about the impact on debt uh, on debt on individuals on both physical and mental health you know if we can offer that service in-house and make sure that everybody that's vulnerable is signposted and gets the right level of help that will absolutely improve their lives and massively hopefully decrease the spend in the future or currently on the NHS so win-win for the benefit of listeners. Can you describe what you mean by social prescribing? So if you go to your GP, you're feeling a bit depressed. The GP can often say, you know, where are we? How have we got to this point? And if they then at that point discover that there is a debt issue, you're then signposted straight into debt advice, be that through Step Change, Christians Against Poverty, Citizens Advice Bureau, or, you know, Money Helper. All of that becomes directly accessible. Whereas before, because the NHS aren't debt experts, we found it really difficult to, to make that connection. What I've always said to to the people that I work with, if you think that that individual is financially vulnerable, just through having that conversation, they don't need to tell you that they're financially vulnerable. If you get that inkling, just signpost them, get them to the help that they need. Did I see somewhere recently, and sorry, because you're probably not the right person to ask this of, but but you're sitting in front of me and you work for the NHS, so I'm just going to assume that you know everything about the NHS. Did I see something recently about the NHS prescribing electricity for people. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're definitely talking to the wrong person. <laughs> but, but again, but actually, that's a really good tie-in. We, we were talking earlier that the NHS finds it really difficult to share data because clinical data is very personal data. But actually, there is real legs in, sh in becoming part of the Digital Economy Act and being able to share that data with people. If Mr. Smith is picked up by an ambulance and he's taken to, to into an acute setting hospital and he's in you know intensive care or he's in ward for 10 days because he's He's got chronic pneumonia. As soon as we fix him, we send him home. What we don't see is the reason that Mr. Smith has got pneumonia is because he hasn't paid for his electric, his electric's being cut off, he's not getting all the benefits that he's entitled to, so he's massively destitute. By putting him straight back into his house, that's not going to change the outcome for him. We're going to have a, the same cycle all over again. So I totally understand that the concept of that, and I think it's, it's really important, for us, especially from a vulnerability perspective, that we start to tie in with way more agencies. If we were able to get that information from, for example, the utilities company and say, right, well, we are releasing Mr. Smith back into his home. We're going to need to put him on X to make sure he's got enough electricity to heat his house. And, you know, and social services then might need to get in involved because there's a safeguarding issue. But I think from a financial perspective, we absolutely need to be way more integrated. And I don't know how soon that's going to happen. I can't, I, it's, that's, that's something that, that's, that's a pipe dream of mine, but it would make such a huge impact on people's lives. That draws massive parallels with local government. So local government, obviously, you've got up for levelling up housing and communities sitting at the top, and then you've got whatever it is, over 300 or so local authorities sitting underneath that, and different standards of, of council tax reduction support. But effectively, then the person not paying the rent, getting evicted, and then popping up somewhere else in the emergency housing, which costs far more than the council tax cost in the first place. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I guess it's, it's that cyclical thing, isn't it? It's not having the holistic view of, of the person's circumstances to be able to take the right action. Absolutely. I think everyone appreciates that if you are in debt, it is incredibly difficult to get out of it. 
we have an obligation to help people that are in debt get out of it as much as possible. And again, it goes back to that, get people to help themselves because as soon as that debt burden is lifted, life opportunities happen and it makes it far more beneficial for everybody involved. So yeah, it's breaking that cycle is really difficult though. And that's something that I think all government organisations need to work together to get right. I guess it troubles me, Catherine, that if somebody has multiple debts, they can get treated one way by local government, a different way by central government, depending on how many different government organisations, they could have several different sets of treatment because it's all linked to legislation. And actually because it's linked to legislation, within one government department, you could be treated in different ways. Then you'd be treated another different way by a utility company, a different way by your streaming service or, or whatever it may be and we don't have that overarching piece of maybe principles based legislation that says when somebody is in debt we will adhere to principle one two and three and that may be affordability signposting and vulnerability identification and i think the fca have gone some way into trying to resolve that but absolutely there is so much work that can be done in that sphere I, that would benefit everybody it really would and it would make it would take i think away that stigma a little bit of being in debt the great british public is not good about talking to you know talking about money in general even worse about talking about debt because it's still seen as a bit of a dirty word you know you, you you're, you've got debt that's not good is it we've all got it in whatever you know most people have got a mortgage most people you know some people have got car finance we need to be a lot more open and honest about debt because until the mindset changes and this is a society drive as well i think until we get that change in mindset around talking about being open about debt it's not going to change and i I think once government and all organisations that manage debt come together and have that almost light bulb moment, it, we're still going to really struggle to treat people fairly. During Talk Money Week in 2023, Money and Pension Service put out some data and it showed that the biggest drivers for people not reaching out for help when they are in problem debt, first was they felt ashamed and second is they felt that if they did reach out they'd be judged and we had massive drive on mental health in the UK over the last decade or so I guess and by shining a light on it it's come out of the shadows and I think you said you'd listen to the podcast with Mark Francis and I, I spoke to Mark about the nearly 40 year old millennial in, in my local pub he's a plasterer and F's and blinds and uh, drives a white van and reads the sun and voted for Brexit but he comes in and you say you alright mate how you doing and, and you want a pint yeah and so it's very been this week and it'd be yeah yeah not too bad but my mental health ain't been great and I, I just go back 30 years and think you would never have had that conversation and it just shows me that it's possible if you can do that with mental health then you can do it with debt yeah absolutely and I think the introduction of breathing space that was the first step it really was that's been a real light bulb moment again for people and it's given people that opportunity without having that stigma you know the last thing that we want is for people to go bankrupt that's that's the really nuclear option if we can get people out of debt before it comes to that you've got the mental health breathing space you've got the, the the normal breathing space routes if it's more i think there needs to be way more advertising so that people understand the options that are out there there is still that stigma attached to picking up the phone and ringing someone and saying i need help i can't manage this anymore but by taking that first step it must you know it's massively rewarding to everybody involved because nobody wants to see anybody suffer from an organizational perspective the nhs at ethos is is entrenched in caring and helping people it doesn't have to just be clinically if we can help 
people that are in debt as well. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we're all going to turn into debt, debt advice agents. Um, but if it's about getting that right help to the right people at the right time as well. And I think as a, as a society, we're beginning to get a bit better, but there is so far to go. So talking about where to go then, what do you see as the biggest challenges in turning this particular tanker within the NHS? <laughs> Most people call it a dinosaur, but yeah, like, like, like the tanker <laughs> analogy, it makes it sound a bit kinder. Oh yes, the tanker. So there are multiple options. I genuinely think that data and technology are gonna be the biggest drivers in changing the way in which we, we are able to recover debt. Again, we're gonna go back to that spend to save. We do need it to happen and it, because it, it will be so beneficial to all the systems involved going right back to the individuals but from an NHS perspective all that additional money that we can recover would absolutely benefit frontline services. Catherine Francis Brown thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you found it as fascinating as I did. If you want to hear more great content from Aram and Just, then please subscribe on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn so that we can let you know when the next one is out. Until then, if you'd like to discuss any of the issues that were raised in this podcast, then please get in touch with me either on LinkedIn or drop me an email to stephen.coppard at aram.co.uk. Once again, my thanks to Catherine and NHS England for investing the time to talk to us and it's goodbye for now.